and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Recently, I taught about our role as being faithful stewards, with the emphasis on our faithfulness. And we looked at that quite deep, some real detail in God's Word about being faithful stewards. But our faithfulness is just one side of the bargain, if you'll have it. The other side is God's faithfulness to us, and that's what we're going to look at this evening. I have a little dog, um, most of you know that, her name is Susanna, and Susanna has learned that I am faithful to take care of her. I'm her master, and I'm faithful to take care of her. She knows that I will feed her, that I will let her out, that I'll see that she gets exercise. Um, it, the, the deal is, if there's some perceived danger on her part, her job is to warn me, and my job is to protect her. Um, some dogs <laughs> actually do both of us. You know, such threats as paper bags on the fence. When I shared that one time. Yeah, that was, that was just terribly scary. Um, you know, whatever her need is, I am faithful to take care of her. And because she knows that, and she knows that I am faithful to love her, to care for her, she in turn is faithful to me. I can, you know, go out in the yard, walk everywhere with her, and she'll just stay right with me. She won't take off, she won't run away, so on and so forth. She's faithful to me because I'm faithful to her. And that's not unlike our relationship with our master, that God is faithful to us. God is faithful, and His Word is faithful. And as we learn that, and the greater we understand God's faithfulness to us, the easier it is for us to be faithful to Him and His Word. And that's the way it should be. You can go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And we see, right in the early part of the Old Testament when the law was given and God was first dealing with his people because it was only in that recent time that it was a, a nation of people. That he tells them that he is faithful. In Deuteronomy 7, and we'll pick it up in verse 1, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. 
You know, one of the, I've pointed this out before, and, and it's something, a perspective you always have to keep in mind when you're reading the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, basically, God was just trying to keep mankind alive long enough to be able to, keep, to redeem him. And, you know, you read these verses like God telling him, you know, these, his people to go and, and chase these guys out and, you know, wipe them out if they don't leave. And that's kind of how it was. They, in other places, it's more specific. They, they were to approach a city and basically tell the people, okay, you can, right now, if you'd like, just leave. You can all just leave, and, and that's fine. Or um, you can, you know, be our servants because we're coming in. Or... If you don't like A or B, then we're just going to wipe you out. That's the choice. And you say, well, that just seems so harsh. But you can't understand it without going back and seeing what happened when man allowed, when, when man was allowed to just mix with the unbelievers, and you got to go back to Noah to see that one. That's what led up to the flood. And you read the early chapters of Noah, of, of Genesis. And it tells us that in the days of Noah, that whenever the believers, the sons of God, it refers to them, married the daughters of men, referring to the unbelievers, they always produced greater unbelievers. They called, it was, they're called giants of wickedness. And that doesn't mean they're giants like that ridiculous, who was that, Russell Crowe movie? Was that the one that did that? You know, thankfully, none of you saw it. Um, you know, it's just a travesty to the record in, in, in Genesis. They were giants, giants of wickedness, because they were so terrible. And it says at that time that just wickedness, wickedness was everywhere. And every thought of man was wicked continually. Violence filled the face of the earth. And it was so bad that it got down to just one man, one man that still believed God. And that's what caused the flood, because that's the, that's the end game for the adversary, Satan, is to, to wipe out everybody. So God told them to, to just chase everybody out. Verse 5. But thus ye shall deal with them, ye shall destroy their altars, and bring down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. Because all of that idolatry, ultimately, it's, it is, whether, although people think they're worshiping a god, a god of stone or a goddess of stone, it ultimately gets down to you are either worshiping the true God or the adversary, the devil, one of the two. You know, few people are willing to just outwardly worship the devil. So instead he gets them to still end up doing that by worshiping false gods and other things. That idolatry, that is the one thing that God could never tolerate because that is where it really led to them ultimately worshiping the adversary. Verse 6, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Because these were the people that did believe him. 
These are the people that he promised, going all the way back to Abraham, that out of this line, out of these people, would come the Redeemer. Jesus Christ is the subject of God's Word from Genesis 3.15 all the way to Revelation 22.21. Why 3.15? Why not Genesis 1.1? Because after Adam and Eve sin, right after it, God promises Adam and Eve that there will be a Redeemer come. This promised seed. That the, and you can, that's in Genesis 3.15. You can read that sometime. So that promise from that time on is what they look forward to. They look forward to this coming Savior. And it becomes more delineated over time. The promise is given to Abraham, and it goes down his line. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob, whose name is then changed to Israel. And he has 12 sons, and those are the 12 tribes of Israel. So now you've got this nation of people, this whole nation of people, that out of which will come eventually the Redeemer, the Christ. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> he told him in verse 6 that they were special people. In verse 7 it says, The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more numbered than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. He didn't chose, choose them because they were the biggest, strongest, greatest nation. In fact, compared to the rest around there, they were nothing. They were nothing. Here's Israel, this little nation, in the midst of, they're surrounded by the Assyrian Empire, which is the first great empire in history. You know, the most powerful, greatest empire. And all these, you know, ites that we just learned about, you know, Hittites, Jebusites, all these guys, they're all different, you know, nations within that great Assyrian nation. And yet, this little nation of Israel, that's who he chose because he loved them. Because he loved them. Not because they were so big or, for that matter, that at times they were so deserving of it, but just because he loved them. Verse 8, But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's why he brought them out of Egypt, because he loved them and he had made a promise and God was faithful to what he had promised. And that's what it tells us in the next verse, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He is the faithful God. And he tells Israel that right then, before they even go into the promised land, and he is still that faithful God. It says in another place, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. God doesn't change. People change, you know, people change. And man's changed. And sometimes people wonder, well, how come in the Bible you read about like all these miracles and healings and all this stuff and you never, you, you don't hear about it as much today if you hear about it at all? Well, it's not that God changed. It's not that he's any less powerful or any less willing. God is just as willing and just as able to do as he ever was. What's changed is man. Man's what changed. 
People change, but God doesn't. God is faithful. God is faithful. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And God is faithful to us. And, you know, again, it's in our case as well, not because we're so great or so lovable at times, <laughs> but because He is faithful. God loves us. You know, God's the prime mover. God so loved that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but hath everlasting life. He loved. You know, in First John it says, "We love because He first loved us." That's the arrangement. That's the arrangement. You know, Mike and Grace they have a little baby, James. And that baby loves them. But they loved him first. They loved him first. And because they loved him, he is learning to love them. And that's the same way with us and God. God loves us. And the more we know his love, the more we get to know God, the more personal and real he is to us, the greater we experience that love. He tells us how much He loves us in His Word. He tells us all the things that He's done for us and all the promises that are ours, all the things that He will do for us that are available. And we can trust that He is faithful to those promises. In the Old Testament, God had made certain promises to Israel. He had promised them a land. He had promised that it would be a great land. He had promised them that He would take care of them. And there's all these wonderful promises that He gave them. And God was faithful to those. For us, it's even more than that. It's even more than you know, making sure that our basic needs are taken care of. It says in Ephesians that He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We have so much, and God is faithful to those things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you read the context of that verse, we, we won't go into it, you can sometime read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you see it's in the context of talking about how God will take care of us in all the different ways that He will take care of us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. God will take care of us so that we are lacking nothing. So that we're lacking nothing. And so that we can ultimately stand well-pleasing before Him. Because if you're lacking, it's hard to really do that. If, you're, if you think in life that you've got to take care of yourself, if you think you have to be your own sufficiency, then that gets to be a real full-time job. It's a real full-time job trying to take care of yourself, and no matter how hard you work at it, no matter how many hours you work, you'll never be able to completely do it. Oh, even if you take care of yourself well financially, you'll never make sure that you can keep yourself and perfect health. You'll never guarantee that all your emotional needs will be taken care of and so on and so forth. But God will. God can. He promises that He'll do that and that we will have everything we need so that then we in turn 
can reach out to others, that we can in turn love God, and that we can in turn help other people. That's how God set it up to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here's another verse that talks about God's faithfulness in another category. Verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So that word temptation, you know, that's understood in a couple of different ways. The basic meaning of it is a, a trial. And that can be temptation like, you know, My mind right now goes to the fact that I'm on a diet, so that can be a temptation. Like, gee, I, that really looks good. So there can be those temptations, you know, that are, you know, in the category of pleasing, gratifying ourselves in some means that we, for one reason or another, should not. So that's pretty broad. That, that'll pretty much cover anything you think of, right? And there's those other kind of temptations that are a trial in the sense of life just trying your patience, trying your believing, wearing you down, those kind of temptations, those kind of trials, those things that just, you know, are a challenge. Just a, a, a challenge to stand on God's Word, a challenge to be faithful to His Word because life can get hard. The world is a, is a really tough place to live. You know, this is a tough place to live. The world is a tough place to live. And I wouldn't want to do it without God and His Word. And it says that there's no temptation of either category that's taken you, but such as is common to man. Sometimes you feel like, you know, no, oh, nobody knows, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows like me, right? Nobody knows how hard it is. Nobody has to put up with what I have to put up. Nobody knows, you know, or how tough this is and, and how how much I have to give in to doing this thing that I shouldn't do or don't want to really do. And sometimes everybody feels that way, and yet it says there's no temptation that you're ever taken with, but such as is common to man. It's common. You know, you're not the only one that goes through this. But God is what? Faithful. faithful. God is faithful who will not suffer, who will not allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also may make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. We're never, the promise of God is we're never in life going to be put in a situation that really is too much for us to handle. We may feel that way at times. And it's too much to handle if we rely on our own strength. It's too much to handle if we rely on our own abilities, our own willpower. But it says that God will provide a way to escape it. God will make a way where there is no way. You know, whatever it takes. And we just have to trust that He will and look for it. Look for that way to, to be able to bear it. Look for that way to stand in that situation. Look for that way to endure it. Like I always say, you got to stand come hell or high water. And if you do, then the hell and high water will be gone and you're still standing. Because God will see you through. Sometimes we're in the middle of a storm and boy, you're just being tossed this way and that way and you know the roof's being blown off and, and you feel like this is never going to end. But the storms do end. The storms do end. 
And God will see us through and God will keep us safe. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Another kind of shade of understanding with this. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He will establish you. He'll help you just stay put. He'll help you stay fixed. He will establish you and keep you from evil. Keep you from evil. The adversary's always trying to get you, you know. It's like the old country preacher many, many years ago, Rufus Mosley used to say. God's always voting for you. The adversary's always voting against you. Your vote determines the election. <laughs> and that's life. God's always voting for you. The devil's always voting against you. Your vote determines the election. But God will keep you from that evil. He will keep you, you know. Talks, talking about the adversary, it's like that verse in 1 Peter that says, resist the adversary and he will flee from you. You know, he walks about as that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Most people don't know that there's two gods. There's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then there is the God of this world, Satan, and that's the title he has. The adversary is called the God of this world, and he is the one that's responsible for all of the evil in this world. And people don't know that, and so they blame the true God when it's evil. When I was a kid, I was taught, and I bet you some of you were, I bet you a lot of you were, that everything that happens in life is from God. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's all from God. You know, well, I was fine with that so long as good things were going my way. But when some bad stuff started happening, I thought, man, if this is from God, then God's got to be pretty cruel. But that isn't the truth. That isn't the truth. Every good thing comes from the true God. Every evil thing comes from the adversary. He is the God of this world. He got that way because Adam was originally the one who had all authority and he handed it over to the adversary when, when he sinned. And he's the one that says that is the author of death. He's the one that's responsible for sin, for sickness, for death, all of that. And people blame God, but it's not. It's the adversary. And we live in this world, but once you're born again, then he has no legal right over you. He has no legal right over you. And that's why it prom the promise is that God will keep us from evil. Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now, if... If you're not familiar with the King James there, you know, that, that sounds like the profession of our faith. Well, that's a good profession. What profession are you in? I'm in the profession of faith. But that's not really what it's talking about. <laughs> profession is, is to confess. It's, it's our, what we say. The profession is what we speak. Of our faith is believing. And it says, let's hold fast the confession of our believing. Let's not get talked out of what we're believing for and what we are, the positive confessions that we're making of believing. Because 
It goes on to say, he is faithful that promised. God is faithful that promised. And that's why we don't have to waver. We don't have to be like that ship that's just, you know, one day, oh, I'm believing this, and the next day, eh, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm you know, believing to get healed, and the next day, oh, I, I just feel miserable. We have, to, we have to hold fast, not waver, not be tossed to and fro. And we can do that because God is faithful. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Here's another great area where God is faithful in 1 John chapter 1. And here it's talking about our fellowship with God. And in verse 9, before that it says that every man sins, but then verse 9 it says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are going to, all of us are going to fall down at times. Although there's always a way to escape the temptation, there's going to be times when we choose not to take that escape. You know, that, that ice cream just looks way too good. That cake just looks way too good. There's times when we're going to break fellowship, sin, miss the mark. And when we do, we just go to God, and God is always faithful to forgive us. Always faithful. Always faithful. You know, one of Jesus Christ's disciples once came to him and said, you know, Master, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven? And he said, not seven, but 70 times seven. And I always point out that's not literal. You don't keep a track. Okay, 491, that's it. You're out of here. It's a figure of speech to show that we just keep forgiving. But that's how God is with us. You know, he wouldn't ask us to do that if, if he was going to say, ah, that's it, I, I'm done with you, that, no, 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 you know, you're out of here, hit the road, buddy. He is always faithful to forgive. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Chapter 21 of Revelation is getting to the very end, the final administration, and here it talks about a new heaven and a new earth in, in Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. These words are true and faithful. God's word is true and faithful. And he's promised in life that there is going to be that day coming when all of the sorrow, all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of that's gone. All of that's gone because that's the promise of God and he is faithful to it. 
God is faithful to his word. And we'll close in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. God's word is faithful, and because it's faithful, we hold it fast. We don't allow ourselves to ever get talked out of it. We stand faithfully on his word because it's the one thing in life you can count on. People blow hot and cold, the best of people can let you down, even though they may not ever want to. People can disappoint, but God will never disappoint. In all the circumstances, all the situations in life, you know, the, the one thing that you can always count on is God to be faithful. And that's why he is deserving of our faithfulness to him. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.